Welcome to Man Reads Monday. I am Aaron Ventura. He is Jacob Rush. Let's get back to work. Jacob, what are we working through today? Today we're in chapter 10 of C.R. Wiley's Man of the House, and the chapter is called The Principalities. We are moving out of section three uh, into part four, what he calls outside the house. So we're going to be tackling some of the um, bigger picture structures that um, sort of interact with the household. And in this chapter, it's going to be the principalities of the state. And I wanted to, as we were just thinking about this, reminder that this book is called Man of the House, a handbook for building a shelter that will last in a world that is falling apart. Mm -hmm. And as the year is going on into 2020, I think it's becoming more and more apropos. It's more and more obvious that things are falling apart. Yeah. Like, it just struck me as we're thinking, it's just a helpful reminder as we're, as we're reading through this book, what are, we, what are we doing this for? What's the point of it? We're not, it's not an intellectual academic exercise. Like, this is life or death <laughs> for us in yeah. a lot of ways and for our, our household, for our future, for our families, for the church community. So, yeah, any, any thoughts about that? Um, yeah, I think the, the more I think about how many people are, say, moving to Moscow and there's a reason why because even just as a state there's a certain sense in which they are being sheltered from policies that are destructive that are counterproductive counterproductive property and uh, as people are leaving california i just saw today a uh who's the ben, ben shapiro guy yeah did he just record a, a show of why i'm leaving california yeah, they're going to Nashville. Like Daily okay. Wire is going to uh, Nashville. Okay. Tennessee. I didn't even know he was in California. I've never listened neither, to yeah. an episode, but I, I happen to see that. And so there is a relocation, a great relocation happening right now in, in America. And where do people go in times of trouble? And this is a, a theme in the Psalms. God is our refuge and strength. Uh, Psalm 60 or 61, uh, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You go to the rock, you go to the high place to avoid the flood, you go to the shelter in the yeah. storm. And uh, whether you are a Christian or not, this is an impulse everyone has. In the storm, you get the umbrella, you go under the... the yeah, you find cover. Uh, yeah, you find cover. And so every, this is a human impulse that everyone has. And we believe that that Christ, that God is our shelter, not necessarily just a productive household, but the productive household is often God's uh, natural means by which he shelters his people, by which he clothes the, the widow and takes care of the orphan and, and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so part of, yeah, we want to keep remembering the whole point of accumulating wealth, of building wealth, of uh, seeking to uh, establish and uh, turn a profit on productive property is to increase the shelter coverage that we can have. If you right. if you have a house that's just one bedroom or you have a little studio apartment in Manhattan, uh, you don't really have the ability to shelter very many people. Yeah. Quick story. When I lived in uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and we were in a, a neighborhood that uh, used to be very crime ridden and was less so, but we lived in a house that was, um, uh, you know, probably 2,500, maybe 3,000 square feet old house built like in 1900. And there was four guys who lived there. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a guy in our church who, uh, you know, was kind of 
in and out off the streets had some drug problems and he just showed up on our doorstep one day just showed just showed up and he just had nowhere to go no place to stay yeah and you know we were able because we had this big house with space and none of us had like wives or were worried about family protection yeah Yeah. Uh, we were able to take him in and uh give him a place to sleep and then eventually i took him to a drug rehab program which which helped him get back on his feet but i remember um he's uh i said hey dude you you should take a shower like please go like go take a shower and I go up there to check on him, bring him a towel, and he's in there washing his underwear in the sink. Okay, like he's doing his laundry in the sink, and he's like, "Oh, I learned, like I I know how to do this. I've been in prison. I know how like we have to wash our clothes there." And I was just like, "Take!" I was like, "This I've never seen anyone do yeah. this before." I was like, "You know, we have like a washer machine," and so I like just like give me all of your stuff, and we so we were able to clean him up get him get him clothed take care of feed him and like we could not have done that or at least it would have been way more difficult to do that if i was living in a tiny studio heck he would not have even come to me yeah so there's he came to us uh also in florida there are these just in the summer torrential downpours like if you think it rains in washington or you know back where i lived i thought it rained all the time till i moved to florida and they get more rain in Jacksonville than they actually do in many places in the Northwest because it just dumps buckets. And and you have these, uh, you know, entire streets will flood yeah. there. And there's times where it would just start downpouring and I would walk outside because I always just like to see the rain. And one day there's just like people standing on our porch. <laughs> And, and they're just literally t- try, just like we just happen to be there and they are just taking shelter yeah. on our porch from yeah. the storm. So I say all these things uh, as th- so it's true, but it's also metaphorical for what we're trying to do as we're building mm. house. Okay, mm. so we're talking about the principalities today. Yep. And it starts with this funny, I've, okay, <laughs> confession, I've never seen Fiddler, Fiddler on the Roof. It's okay. My wife says I need to watch it, but it's this funny line. I still think it's funny. Uh, so, w- w- will you just read this first uh, little chapter because it's fun. Yeah, yeah. So, in the musical Fiddler on the Roof, an earnest student asks, Rabbi, is there a proper blessing for the czar? And the rabbi answers, a-, a proper blessing for the czar, of course. May God bless and keep the czar far away from us. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> get out of here, czar. Bless you, keep you away from me. Yeah, this is great. So he says, when it comes to the government, the adage, can't live with it, can't live without it, seems apropos. Uh, people in the past were clear-eyed about this. Uh, governments are Janus-faced things, looking <laughs> after your interests with one face while pursuing their own with the other. So mm. uh, go- so there's lots of opinions on government, uh, what their role should be. In fact, there's just a debate happening right now at, yep. uh, at NSA's Disputatio on the non-aggression principle and, and how uh, what line the government has, right. you know, what responsibilities it has. And today we're talking about the relationship between the household. So we talk about you got to have a household government, you got household justice. Yep. But where does the government end and uh, or the civil government and where does household government uh, start? Yeah. And, and he talks about uh, the, he tells the story of this Ethiopian friend who, who says one day his children declared you can't tell us what to do this is America yeah. uh, to which he responded America ends and Ethiopia begins right at that door yeah 
And he's talked about this before. You need to know where you as an individual start and end. Yes. And love is breaking into that, whether it's grandma's cookies or she, you know, she, she, she wants, wants a piece, she yep. wants a piece of you. Yeah. Um, and, and we need to know where those healthy boundaries are as individuals, but we also need to know where the healthy boundaries are in terms of our household government yep. and the government out there. The thing is, the government out there has a lot more guns, yep. a lot more power, a lot more ability to coerce and to attack yep. you or uh, you know, undermine your household justice. And we need to find ways of addressing that. So that's what this whole chapter is really about. Yeah. And, you know, just as you talk about, you know, the, the sort of boundaries, we're trying to keep everything in its ordered place. He taught, he, he introduces this. So Wiley's sort of going to presume that government, at least in principle, is an, is an okay thing. Yeah. Right. So he, he's going to say, we don't want anarchy because, you know, um, and again, as you, the world is made up of these sort of households, and as these households get together, um, you have to exact justice within your households, yeah. but you're going to come into conflict with households. Households yeah. are going to war against households. There's going to be conflict between people who don't live in the same family, so yeah. there's nobody to adjudicate. Yeah. So that's the government's role then, is to adjudicate and to judge between these disputes. And that's where the question comes. That's where the, the objections come about. Okay, to, to where, where does that begin and where does that End. Yeah. Yeah. So it goes back to on page 104. It says John Locke famously said that the state should secure life, liberty, and property. Thomas Jefferson, for some reason, this is this is maybe the worst thing that ever happened in <laughs> our uh, <laughs> country's founding. Oops. Is <laughs> is this change here uh, from property to the pursuit of happiness? So Thomas Jefferson substitutes that, and that has radically altered the vision for what American, what the American dream is. And there's even, there's a movie with Will Smith called The Pursuit of Happiness. So right. you, uh, and you can see how this manifests itself now where me being able to choose my own gender or choose who I marry. I was re recently reading the Obergefell Hodges decision, which oh. was the landmark case that made uh, uh, same-sex marriage legal. Mm. And you can see how the, the way they argue saying that this is a constitutional right that the state is meant to enforce and encourage is not just this uh, not protecting your own property. <laughs> that's not even in yeah. there. But your pursuit of happiness. Right. And if that's what makes you happy, well, the government is there to help you do it. So you can see how right. this set us off on a really terrible tra trajectory away from protecting property right. and to supplementing something worse yeah. and un unbiblical. Yeah. Um, unless you're the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right, right. your happiness in in him. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're spot on. The pursuit of happiness, the problem with that is that, um, <laughs> if you're going to pursue your own happiness, where does it stop, right? Why, why, why are we going to contain that mentality just to simply marriage, yeah. right? Well, if it's, why don't we, why shouldn't we revert back to a sort of Hobbesian dog-eat-dog kind of world? Well, it's my happiness. Yeah. It's my happiness to subjugate you, yeah. right? It's, my, it's yeah. happy for me to take your property or for us to have communal property. Right, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, why is capitalism such a bad deal or, or sort of the critique of it if it's the pursuit of happiness? Yeah. And so there's, there's sort of a, a, there's not a fixed standard. Mm -hmm. It's sort of, we're just going to run with what can justify our position here. Yeah, so to, to kind of come out of, uh, the mm -hmm. book here and into scripture real quick. So Romans 13, I think it gives prescriptive uh, 
it gives the prescription for what the civil government is meant to do. Yeah. And I think you could rightly summarize that it is meant to, as John Locke says, uh, what is the state's role? What is the role of good, good government? It's to secure life, liberty, and property. And, and we would add as Christians to that, as biblical theocrats, that they also should suppress heresy yeah. and and encourage and reward uh good morality v- virtue that's yeah. what, that's what Romans 13 would would say yep. punish wicked reward the good and and we'd say part of that is the f- even the first table of the law type yeah. stuff yeah. Um, so and maybe that sounds crazy to you but this is <laughs> please what, send us an yeah, email yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead uh, you won't change my mind <laughs> don't change we're my good mind. we're good Calvinists even de- <laughs> even down to that okay so I want to spend uh, a bit of our time in this section when he says uh, on page 105 when it comes to the state you must let the state know where it ends and your household begins and he's going to give us some ways to do this Mm. and um, he kind of gives you two big general ways and and they are these stay put so so find a location to really put roots down and contribute to the common good Mm. and you think we live in a society where people are constantly uh, moving all the time he says where anonymity is Mm. the norm and movement is mistaken for progress Communities need more sticks in the mud. Yeah. He's going to say these used to be called pillars in the community. And so uh, you want to become a pillar, something that is uh, indispensable. Right. So whereas the government is trying to become indispensable, Mm. uh, Wiley is wanting to say, no, you need to find ways where you are actually carrying weight, substantial burden being a pillar in the community. And think about it. To be a pillar requires strength, yeah. girth. Like you got to have you, you got to have the ability to have a heavy burden laid upon you. Yeah. But most people don't want to do that. Yeah. And the government is more than happy to say, "Oh, we'll we'll take that for you. We'll do this." And so, we'll be your safety net. We'll yeah. provide all the things. You don't have to worry about it. And so then you become weak and you make kind of exactly what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So, he's going to he's going to give some practical uh, steps or practical advice here. He's so he's going to say, uh, involve yourself in local politics mm. is a good thing to do. Um, especially so right now, there's a lot of talk about social justice, police reform, etc. I agree that there needs to be police reform. There needs to be a, a radical change in the laws and what we criminalize and how that gets handled. I don't want the God-hating Marxists. I don't want the Democrats doing that. Right. And so if they're act, if if they're they they can protest and do the riots and and do that. But what I don't want is them writing the laws. Right. And so we as Christians, I think we want people who are qualified to be doing this. This is uh, projects that uh, Christian lawyers and stuff can be doing. So we want to be the ones being politically active, right. not just on the, like, I could care less at this point, yeah. you know, h- how you vote in the presidential election. I have reasons for why I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Yeah. But when it comes down to the local... Kanye, here, sorry, yeah. Kanye 2020? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if, if he's still running or not. But, That's a good question. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not, and I'm not voting for Kanye. But... Uh, <laughs> When it comes down to local politics, mm. where you know, like Bill Lambert, once upon a time, came to my house. 
Mm. So when I when I lived where I, I used to live, so he came, he knocked on my door, and I, di- I didn't even know who he was. So I, was, I had recently moved to the area, yeah. and he's just out, like, meeting people. And so there's someone, I'm never going to have probably a face-to-face conversation with Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Right. Okay? Probably not going <laughs> to happen. And it's in some ways, it's far more important to me who is on the local city council, who is my state governor, mm. and who is my county or, or uh, city yes. mayor. Or also who is the sheriff. Yeah. And one of the nice things about COVID is that it has for maybe the first time for a lot of people woken them up to the daily implications your local municipality, your government can have on you. Yeah. By virtue of whether you have to wear a mask when you walk into Walmart or Target or wherever. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. And you put put that in a bit of a context here. What's interesting is even though Idaho as a general rule, is a more conservative state, and they never put a statewide mask order on. Yeah. Uh, Moscow, Idaho, did. Yeah. And that that's getting exactly your point. So, we, you know, we can't just hope. Oh, if I just vote for the state elections or if I vote for the presidential election, I'm going to see real substantial change yeah. in the policies. Well, you're not. Well, I mean, it, it maybe yeah, it's helpful, but in terms of the affecting your day to day life, they're not the ones who are keeping you from who are threatening you, coercing you with a fine just for walking outside. Yeah. I was listening to uh, a, a podcast that's kind of in the Christian social justice wing, just kind oh, of yeah. listening to what, what they're talking about. And um, and they mentioned one of the things you should do is go to city council meetings. And I was, it was just funny thinking about there's people in our community who are doing this. They're going to the city council meetings. Uh, even our friend Gabe Wrench is yeah. running for, for county commissioner. And, and so the, this is the kind of activism that often Christians don't think about or shy away of. And I was just thinking myself, like, man, maybe I should go to city council meetings and, like, preach. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like yeah. what Give are some, some ways? Sort of- yeah, so it has me wanting to research more locally, like, what are the laws? How do these policies get made? Who yeah. are the people that we can put pressure on? But, however, you think about, you're only going to really ever do this if it ma- if it's going to have some cash out got, value to you, you if you have skin in the game and the people who it mostly impacts is going to be property owners small business owners people who are being directly affected by it and so uh, this gets into his whole uh, conversation about the middle class and the erosion of it yeah. if you undermine the middle class which is um, uh, maybe we should just jump there to uh, so this is kind of actually at the end sure So uh, he says we need to rebuild the actual middle class. And he says generally the middle class does not own property in the modern world. He says they they maybe own homes, which are mortgaged, so so mainly the bank owns. Owns right. them. They'll own it in 30 yeah. years, don't worry. And then they have a few depreciating, uh, rapidly depreciating assets, right. vehicles, and probably a few of those. Yep. And then maybe some mutual funds. Maybe you have some stocks yep. or, or a 401k. And, and we think that is the middle class lifestyle, something to aspire to. And sure, that's a, that's a place to start. Yeah. But he says that's n- prior to the Industrial Revolution, that's not what the middle class was. The middle class was property owners, uh, people who would work the land or maybe tradesmen in, in, a, in the village. And so if, if we think about, we want as many people as possible to have a product, a property in which they're responsible for. Meaning, if you don't plow, if you don't work, you don't eat. Right. And the more people have that reality, that principle uh, in their face, 
the more that that virtue, that thrift, that uh, godly work ethics is going to be rewarded because you live in God's world and being irresponsible, lazy, uh, is going to be penalized. Yeah. So if everyone in Moscow owned, uh, had a home business or owned property and they were being affected by, say, the, the mask mandate where they're just saying, hey, by the way, y'all are all non-essential services. We're just going to shut you down. Yep. You would have, that would, that would never happen. No. If everything in Moscow was run by, say, small business owners who were doing this mm. rather than, than big, yes. maybe the big box stores, like we got a, a big Walmart or a big Winko or, or whatever. Yeah. But, no, yeah. So what's interesting about this is you can see kind of uh, all these themes that we've talked about in the book so far coming to real practical application in our in our day-to-day -day world. We, you know, our generation likes to talk about changing the world and making an impact and doing this revolutionary thing. And whether it's I'm gonna, you know, and not poo-pooing any of these things, obviously, whether I'm gonna go on mission field or whether I'm gonna go and you know run for governor or president or whatever it is. But Wiley's claim is that the most radical thing you can do is man get married yeah. have a bunch of kiddos raise them and buy stuff <laughs> like and he's saying those well yeah and, well, just, and not just buy stuff yes. but turn a profit right. on the stuff productive the property stuff. right yeah. so yeah to clarify yeah don't uh, buy stuff in a wise way yeah we come to the <laughs> don't end. just buy video games <laughs> and yeah yeah the newest iPhone yeah. yeah yeah so but um, and it's actually that which is going to you know, sort of the seed that goes in the ground and bears much fruit right yeah. it dies the thing that seems insignificant you say, oh yeah, well, I'm just. I spent 30 years building a house and working on this small business, or you know, you know, doing my job while my wife has this, you know, vocation at the house, like this side business. Maybe she she knits. I don't know. <laughs> she sells blankets, whatever it is. And you think, is that really doing anything? Mm -hmm. And but his point is to say that's what society is ought to be made up of. Yeah. Like we ought to be a society that's made up of these tiny kingdoms, of these tiny households that are each contributing something to the common cause yeah. and because of that therefore you know, um, they're the ones who are making the decisions about local politics and they're going to have the most weight right is sort of applying the um, the gravitas chapter yeah. to households um, sort of at large yep. does your house have gravity yeah right um, would would the city council be nervous right um, if they're if their bill or project affected that family. Yeah. Because they know that that family brings in a lot of business. And so yeah. it sort of curbs maybe an overreach impulse or a, a move that is for their own gain as yeah. opposed to the gain of society. Yeah. I think about someone like uh, Andrew Krapuschitz, who, you know, is a CEO of, of MZ, which is one of the biggest employers here in Moscow. Yeah. Now, if he goes before the city council, and and he's employing all of these people in Moscow. He like his voice carries gravity and weight to it if he says this is a terrible policy or this is a great policy or if he gives advice on on what the city council should do. Right. He has the weight to throw around. Or I think of uh, other friend. Uh, why am I blanking? Uh, Phil Reingitz. Yeah. Who? Rusty Olps, like yeah. all these guys yeah. in town with property. Yeah, so it, the, those are the people who, for one, they're employing, they're helping, they're they're providing not just for their own families, but for for other people through yeah. uh, owning assets that are productive, mm. and so that gives them weight when they go in. Now, 
when I, these names, these people that we're talking about, they're not people that just moved here. Yeah. They're people that have been here for a little bit and they've invested in the community. And so if we're, if we're going to try to tell the government, hey, stay in your lane, well, we need to make sure we are actually occupying, take, arcu yeah. occupying our, our entire lane. Yeah. And if we've let the government take over parts of our own things that should be our responsibility, yeah. then we, we, we don't really have any weight, any leverage when yeah. we do go tell them, stay stay out. Yeah. Uh, he, he has a little aside about the miracle of home education. And, and it's crazy. I was just talking to Dr. Edwards uh, yesterday when he uh, was, they were homeschooling their kids in UK and they had to have a home inspector come and like do a, you know, an interview to find out like what they were teaching there. Okay. So yeah. this is actually a, lux a luxury and a liberty and a freedom that has been hard fought mainly by like Christian reconstructionist type yep. people who, who are saying, you know, Rush Dooney was a huge, huge factor and influence in giving us the liberties to be able to actually homeschool right now mm. and be able to do now what we have is you know classical christian schools okay yeah. so that's a liberty that people in other countries right right now yep. do not have that we need to be taking advantage of yeah and and that would be probably one of the best examples and places of us recovering something of the productive household mm. that the government was trying to to take up for itself yeah i think one of the maybe another way of saying it is what's the best way to help or sort of yeah, reform policies in government is by forcing them to be small. Yeah. Force the government to be small. Well, how do you do that? By doing the work that you need to be doing, right? And by basically you're, you're running the government out of a job yeah. because you're doing the things that your household ought to be doing, like providing for your family, providing those welfare nets for your family and for your communities, yeah. like bringing in business, like um, it's uh, um, to, to Tocqueville. Uh, democracy in America, mm -hmm. right? Part of his critique of, of the American project was he was saying, there's so much liberty here, when are they going to blow it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's so much freedom here, all it would take was for them to sort of get lazy, right? And sort of slack on their, their sort of citizen duties of, yeah. yeah, being a productive society and outsource that to the United States, the federal government, little by little. Like, it, it's all it takes. It's yeah. going to keep growing. You're going to die, and then the next generation is going to give a little more. Um, it says, no, 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 force it to be small. Yeah. And, and begin, start now in the, in the places where you have the most ability to do that, yeah. which is going to be local. Yeah. Make government redundant again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can get behind that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's what he's going to say. You want to try to make uh, the government stay, stay in its lane and, and encourage them to do that by, by owning up. Uh, to what you're supposed to be doing. So the so so just to summarize, when it comes to the state, you must let know must let the state know where it ends and your household begins. The two ways to do that: stay put and contribute to the common good. And he gives a few examples of um, kind of how you would find the common good. He's going to say, uh, find where your interest and the community interests intersect. That would be kind of a natural one uh, where, okay, if it benefits you and it benefits them, look, what are those opportunities where you could, say, beautify yeah. a neighborhood or do something like that? Yeah, build a bench for a park. Like, yeah. yeah, just things like that. I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't know if that's how beneficial that is, but I need to sit down sometimes <laughs> when I'm walking through the Arboretum. Um, and these He's also going to say, you know, do the jobs that nobody wants, but everyone knows needs done. Yeah. And that, I think that's a really good principle just in general, right? Uh, if, if everyone is going to really be appreciative that someone 
you know, got their hands dirty and, and did the thing, they're going to respect that, mm-hmm. like, regardless of who you are. I was thinking of the the NSA leaf raking thing. So there's, yeah. there's kind of just a community service kind of project that the college does, and it, it blesses people, and the students enjoy it. It gives you opportunities to talk to cute girls and stuff like that. If you're, yeah, right? Uh, any opportunities <laughs> they can have to do, to do something productive. And, and this is where... Uh, when uh, this is where Christian charity can actually really shine, where yeah. the church can can do that, where individual Christian citizens or uh, families are doing that, and this is this is I think part of the leaven working through the loaf. If Christians are the the leaven, we're supposed to leaven the whole loaf. This is part of how we become the salt and the light in a in a community. Really, really yeah. basic stuff. Yeah, and it gets back to the basic principle, and you see it over and over in the scriptures of, you know, why does God bless Abraham? So that in him, all the nations might be blessed, Yeah. right? Why does God give us so much grace and mercy and kindness? So that we overflow and we give others, you know, give what you've been given and then and then multiply, turn a profit on it. Yeah, so uh, kind of the second half of this chapter is spent on, uh, so he says, although you should contribute to your community, so yeah, go, go do those things. He says, don't overdo it. <laughs> uh, the interests of your household and the interests of your community do not always converge. And when some fit of madness sweeps through the community, as inevitably happens, you may even feel the need to get out of Dodge. So he says, Let, let's, let's look at some tact some tactics uh, for when your household will need to really look after itself. Each of them is intended to help you retain as much control of your interests as possible. And I think I have, um, I think I maybe have like four things that he gives here. So uh, tactics for looking after your own self uh, in in the event of, you know, the community going, going crazy. Yep. First thing he's going to say, keep your money out of the tax man's hands. This is just a something that everyone should learn to do. I think everyone should try to do their taxes at least once. Uh, and some people have really easy ways of doing this. Or g- going and figuring out, yeah, what kinds of exemptions do you have? How does, how does that work? Because a lot of people just don't know how to do that. And that kind of basic financial fiscal literacy is going to help you not have to just now pay for someone else to do it for you. And now sometimes you should pay because you don't want to end up in jail. <laughs> right? So you, you may need an accountant to do that or, or a tax preparer to do that for you. Uh, but as you say, uh, tax is determined by the ways your income is received, not by how much you receive. Mm. So I'm going to read that again. Tax is determined by the ways in italics, the ways your income is received, not by how much you receive. And uh, this is kind of contra to the popular myths about how taxation works. And and yes, there are tax brackets and so forth. Um, So this is an absolute principle, but he's going to expand on what he means by that. So basically, uh, this is where there's a distinction between passive income and earned income. Another way of thinking about it is, let's say you are uh, a company. Anything that you, so you're buying stuff, materials, uh, or you're hiring someone to do some work on your property, you can expense that. Yeah. All right, so you have an expense account, and if it goes under the category of expenses, <clears throat> then you can deduct that, and your income is going to, your, your actual income is going to look smaller yeah. because you're able to treat it as an expense. However, if you are just uh, receiving like a paycheck from your employer, 
say, that looks that is called earned income, that, that whole portion. Right. And then anything else that you pay is coming out of your own pocket. So it's it's a matter of good bookkeeping to know when when to expense something or how you can expense something, what you can be exempt from and and the ways in which that money is coming to you, right? Now, uh, maybe you've heard of passive income before. And uh, Jacob, when uh, if, if you're at, if you tell your average person like, "Hey, you should try to have some passive income." What kind of things do you think come to mind? I think they think um, buy stocks. Okay. Right? Yeah, just like <laughs> on their little iPhone app, just sort yeah. of like, "Oh, I'll put some this and then maybe it'll get me some money." Or even like, "Yeah, if I get a rental, if I get a rental, property if I buy apartments that's giving me generating me some passive income yeah so he's gonna say uh, what makes passive income passive is the fact that it cannot be classified as earned income confused don't be the principle is actually pretty easy to understand rent from an apartment building is a good example of how this works you own the building it requires time thought and even physical labor to maintain nevertheless it produces passive income why then is it called passive income because you can hire people to do the work and any profit above and beyond expenses is yours to keep yeah. investment real estate is only one one form of passive income, a business is another. Passive income can be derived from other things. And you mentioned one of these uh, intellectual property, like this book, yep. a dividend generating stocks. So you own stock and then it pays dividends to you, and not all stocks do that. <laughs> uh, interest income on loans made. Remember, we talked about how a house is not actually an asset. It's the bank's asset. Yeah. Uh, if, if they're the one who's loaning it out to you. <laughs> they're not just giving you a bunch of free money for yeah. the house, right? Uh, and then also this thing called derivatives. And if you want to know what derivatives are, just go on YouTube and look up what is derivatives. <laughs> and he says, um, it's just a matter of making ass your assets work for you. So uh, often people think of passive income as you don't have to work for it. Yeah. And you just need to completely get that out of your mind. And if you've ever owned property or a business or you know it's work. that it's it's work and it's but it's a different kind of work than maybe being a, a wage slave yeah and i think this is maybe the most insight one of the most insightful things in this whole book what he says right here he says prepare yourself for another dose of reality here it is people either own assets that generate passive income for them or they work for the people who do it is really that simple yep i thought wow that's profound. So the the entire economy, it, it could be separated in this binary. There's people who own assets and generate passive income from them and therefore pay a lower tax uh, for that. And then the people who work for those people and then pay a, a higher tax. And he says, well, maybe you think that's not really fair. And then he goes and explains it. Think about it this way. What happens to an employee when he gets sick and cannot go to work? Well, he receives unemployment benefits, maybe even Social Security, right? Where does the government get the money for those things? Taxes. Mm -hmm. Social Security is just one form those taxes take. While it is true that employers help to pay both Social Security and Medicare taxes, they must match an employee's contribution. For the employer, this is just another cost of doing this business. So he gets to expense it. It is another deduction on his income. Whereas if you are the, the, the employee, it is not. The passive income that remains after business expenses are paid are not subject to these taxes. Mm. So I'll give you just a real, I may have mentioned this before. So as a minister, I am able to have tax exempt, uh, I am able to be exempt from social security tax. 
And it's a great blessing. So what it does is, <laughs> yeah, you look at, one day you'll be able to do this maybe. And so, uh, and, and it, it's a long process. I think it took Ben Zorns maybe a, a year to even go through. And it took me, uh, I think less than that, maybe three, four months. Yeah. And so I had to, I, I remember I had to, I think you have to be like a conscientious objector basically to social security and fill out kind of a religious exemption form. Yep. But uh, so you, you finally get that it gets approved and processed and all and all that stuff. But now what what happens is that money that was originally taken out of my paycheck, so I'm I'm paying it. I don't I don't get that. They just take it. Now I get, now it shows up in my paycheck. Yeah. But the the cool thing is so I still need to have some kind of safety net in case yeah. Uh, of trouble, but Some kind of I would sure. rather be able to to get to decide what I buy. So I, I go to my uh, Northwestern Mutual uh, guy and and I say, hey, this is what I I need, and so I'm able to now take that money that maybe I, the Social Security would mm -hmm. have taken, and who knows if Social Security will happen, and I'm able to actually buy you know uh, life insurance, you know policy for disability, right. And so forth, and and I have way more control now over it, and I'm spending less on that than Social Security would cost me. Yeah. And and uh, I'll give you another example. As ministers, you can also get, say, a housing allowance. Hmm. And a housing allowance is is another way of like expensing. This is a kind of this is different than it would be if you were not a minister. Right. But it makes my actual income look way smaller right. than it in reality what my paycheck is just because of the forms and exemptions that are happening on uh, you know right. through through these policies yeah and one of the you know the the big questions that kind of gets thrown around in top is is taxation theft yeah and there are ways in which it's not right and you know we talked about um, ways in which it's legitimate for the civil magistrate to yeah. tax. If they're protecting your property by sending the police out, if it's vandalized, you pay them. Yeah, to, you pay them to do that, and that's what the tax is. But but the problem, and you can see where this makes sense um, for something like um, social security. So you, you are being taxed on income on your income for this service, which by all you know stretch of reality, you will not have. It's going to run out by the time that you need it. And so rather than, that's sort of the principle here, rather than depending upon this government service, which because nations rise and uh, they go up and down and there's no real security that the United States is going to be here for the next, well, Five years. Yeah. <laughs> At the rate we're yeah, going, yeah. we don't we don't really, we don't know. really know. By the next episode, <laughs> we could be living in a welcome, different nation. Welcome to Man Reads Monday yeah. in another country, uh, <laughs> Idaho. Um, but um, the, the point of that is to say you would rather it be. I think what you're saying in your own hands. That yeah. that's the point is we want it to be in our own hands. Now, you know, for us non ministers, we don't just get to opt out of social security right. but in the ideal society we can see why we would want that yeah and that so that would be one example where uh if everyone could do what a minister does everyone should or at least all yeah. christians should it would it on just a basic economic financial level it makes total sense to do that because 
you would rather have you having control over your money, deciding where to invest it. Yeah. And if you think I could, I'm way smarter than the government. Uh, so the farther you are away, the yeah. less you know what's going on yeah. and the m less informed decision you're going to make, which comes back to that whole thing about lo being involved with local politics. Yep. Well, if you're a citizen in that community, you're going to probably have the most on-the-ground knowledge and for politicians who they want to stay in office, yep. right? They're, they're, you're going to be the ones voting for them. And whereas voting in a presidential election, there's all sorts of factors, electoral college and stuff, whatever. Mm. In, in a local election, just a few hundred votes yeah. can, can make a huge difference. And if all the... the if people are raising awareness about say, hey, this is this would be a really great policy that would bless and benefit a lot of people, mm -hmm. we need to do it, mm -hmm. then, then that makes sense to, to try to pursue that on, on the local level. Right. Um, the, there's, a, there's a couple other things he says in here. So make government redundant. We already talked about that. Uh, but he also says, you probably also need to get some guns. <laughs> so uh, you need to defend yourself, treat your household as sort of a, a castle that needs self-defense. Yeah. Um, and he has a quote here that I think is uh, appropriate in our current time of uh, <laughs> not domestic tranquility. He says, <clears throat> it may seem counterintuitive, but domestic tranquility is best secured through the wide distribution of coercive force, not by giving the officials in charge exclusive right to it. So, yep. so we don't want the government to have a monopoly on force, and this is what the founders knew. Hence, we have the the Second Amendment and the and the right to bear arms. So, you need to make use of that. Yep. Uh, the police, he says, should supplement rather than replace household self defense. Yeah. So, if you don't have guns, if you don't have any form of protecting your house, you have already farmed out one of the, we did say legitimate things that yeah, this, is, this is their responsibility, but because we have treated it as that, that is their complete responsibility as I just called 911. Yep. Well, by the time you call 911, you could be dead or yeah. the people in your house could be dead. And we're also Calvinists, right? So we, I mean, that's part of the... <laughs> I like that. I, I just like that you started the sentence that way. <laughs> Let me explain. And no. also... <laughs> like, in the sense that we believe in total depravity. Yeah. We believe that there is, you know, there is no absolute authority on this side of, uh, this, this side of heaven that is going to be perfect. And that the founders understood that, which is why, again, they wanted to distribute that right among the citizens because, uh, I mean, you're, you're already seeing this in in countries that are uh, that have done this they've outlawed the citizens right to bear arms yeah. or protect themselves so it goes down to knives or to black market stuff or other ways where you know i throw burning acid on you or something like that right and then all of a sudden um who's got the guns the very 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 bad guys and then the civil government yeah and then the okay. other bad guys yeah yeah right <laughs> and so yeah so now you're caught between two evils because the moment that somebody's in power who you know wants to take it to that totalitarian level <laughs> you're done for. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah. So he says, uh, there always sh should be enough coercive force distributed through a community to hold a police force accountable. And this now this raises a whole bunch of questions about, well, should everyone own nuclear bombs? <laughs> <Something like> that. <laughs> Tanks. Okay. Should I buy a tank? But, but that's for a di different podcast. Um, <laughs> and then uh, lastly, we, are, we already talked a little bit about this, but he says, you want to re help rebuild uh, the middle class. And he has this really, I think, uh, prophetic... Uh, quote at the end of page 112. He says, You know society has entered a decadent phase when the tastes of the upper class have supplanted the values of the middle class in the hearts 
of the lower class. Most of the time, this occurs when the propertyless contingent has swollen in size. So something that shouldn't need to be said, but needs to be said, is that if there is a middle class, there is also a upper or higher class yeah. and a lower class. And the question is, what function do you want the middle class to play? Do you want it to be something to aspire to, or do you want to eradicate it? Where you have some of these uh, uh, countries in South America where the the uh, disparity mm. in uh, in wealth is so vast, you have a few kind of kingpins and then just poverty. So, yeah. so th what you want is the majority of society yep. to be in the middle class for all the reasons that we talked about. Because you'd have the most people with skin in the game yep. with a reason to uh, contribute to the common good, with a reason to try to benefit and pursue policies that are going to help the most amount of people, mm. rather than a few people at the top and then a bunch of people at the bottom who, who don't own property and therefore are reliant on the upper class to, to give them things. And what you typically end up having is someone, some wisecrack from the upper class seeing that revolution's going to happen because they're outnumbered. And so then they, he says, uh, he says, this is where the demagogue shows up. The demagogue shows himself as the man of the people. The people here being understood to be those without property. While the demagogue can rise from below, more often he is actually a member of the upper class. Better to lead the mob than to become its target. Can somebody say the Democratic Party? <laughs> right? I mean, in all seriousness, right? Think about the craze of socialism. Who yeah. is leading that? People who've got four houses. Yeah. And who is the most likely to be in that voting demographic? Young college somethings. Uh, yeah. 20, 20 something <laughs> Young college something. <laughs> yeah. Young 20 somethings who don't have anything. Yeah. Who don't have skin in the game. And so it's easy to tell them, hey, your life should be easy. <laughs> hey, you should get this, this, this. Of course they're going to vote for you. Yeah. I, I, I can't pull it up now because we're recording on my phone. I was trying to pull up Twitter because I just saw this really funny tweet. Uh, where Joe Biden is kind of like <laughs> representing himself as as a victim, where he's saying, you know, I am part of this uh, this oppressed class where I've had to work with my hands, and <laughs> people like Donald Trump have you know been oppressing me, and you think like this this dude's trolling us, right? This guy yeah. and Keith Darrell uh, tweeted, you know, guy's been in power for forty seven years <laughs> or in in government for forty seven years, yeah. and is now like posing as a victim. But but what is he doing? Yeah, he's trying to. Uh, uh, close the distance yeah. between your kind of average man who's who's a victim of yep. feels victimized by big government and who is the one doing it the representative <laughs> of the, of big government so so it, it happens there there's your parable yeah all right well uh, uh, that is it for uh, this episode of man of the house uh, and uh, Jacob what should people do this week mm. well whatever people do this week Aaron people need to get that wisdom and then build that house and they need to buy C.S. Lewis The Abolition of Man because we only have I think two more chapters of, uh, of Man of the House and then we're going to begin into yes. to that book so order it and read it along with us till next time peace see ya